Hey everyone, this is Craig. Thank you for listening. Before we get started, I wanted to tell you how much fun we've had interacting with everyone on Facebook and on our site, thelegendariumpodcast.com. We've produced a lot of content over the last couple of years, and we're glad that we've been able to do it completely free from day one. All we ask from you is that you help us spread the word. Like us on Facebook, leave a review in iTunes, and above all, share us with your friends. Again, thank you for listening, and welcome to The Legendarium. Hi, this is Terry Brooks. You're listening to The Legendarium Podcast. Today, Craig, Ryan, Ken, and Andrew discuss the Elfstones of Shannara. It's book two in the original Shannara trilogy and the book on which the new MTV series is based. So it's an important one. Hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the Legendarium Podcast. I am Craig Hanks. Of course, uh, let's introduce our panel for today's discussion of the Elfstones of Shannara. Uh, well, it's a weird, 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 weird world. Thanks mostly to Ryan Bruckman. Hi, Ryan. Hi. Hey. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he once tried to let to. <laughs> dang it. Let's try this again. And you're blaming me for the weird world. (laughs) Learn to speak, man. He once tried to braid his leg hair, and it worked. And the ladies loved it. It's Ken Johnson. The girls adored it. He's the Rapunzel of leg hair. He's joining us remotely, which is fine, because he's not nearly good looking enough for podcasting. It's Andrew Bayless. Hi, Andrew. Hey, what's up? It's true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm, I I can't even see you, so I have no idea uh, your aesthetic quality at the moment. Anyway, uh, before we get started uh, with our topic du jour, I wanted to make sure we gave a shout-out to worldswithoutend.com. I just thought everybody would appreciate a good resource. Uh, it's a great website for science fiction and fantasy and horror uh, readers out there. They've got a goal. Their Their mission, and I'm quoting here, their mission is, we don't want you to ever have to read a bad book again. That's a very, very nice concept. <laughs> it's like ambitious. That. Which, I, you know, I'm not quite sure about just because I, I'm one of those who has the opinion that you've got to read some bad to appreciate the good. Uh, you know, this is why I want everybody to see Fantastic Four because it was so bad that it will help you appreciate the stuff that comes out that's actually worth your time. All of you who are skeptics about the new Star Wars movie, go see Fantastic Four before you go see the new Star Wars. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think, Andrew? Good books? Uh, are, are bad books valuable? Oh, did we lose Andrew? It sounds like we lost hey, Andrew. Right. Oh, there he is. You there, Andrew? I still hear you guys. Oh, yeah, yeah we here. can hear you. I'm here. Andrew, are, good books, okay. are, are bad books valuable? I think so. I mean, I've read I've read a couple doozies, and uh, and it really does just help me to appreciate the the really good stuff more. I I think when you when you read a really well crafted novel, uh, part of the well craftedness of the book is that you don't even notice the words or how well crafted it is. You know, exactly, you don't notice how well crafted it is because it's just the way it should be. Fair enough. Well, uh, speaking of good books, should we start on uh, the Elfstones? That's making a mighty big assumption at the beginning of our podcast. (laughs) I think it's a good book. Uh, Anyway, all right, let's get started. I will read my my prepared three-paragraph summary. Ken, I know you love these. All right. I do. I live for them. I know you do. I do. Uh, All right. As we begin the Elfstones of Shannara, we soon realize that this is not book two of your typical fantasy trilogy, Rather than a continuation of Shay's story from the Sword of Shannara, we pick up two generations later with Shay's grandson, Will. 
We get a glimpse of grumpy old Flick, but then we are quickly swept away into a new story and a new land with mostly new people. We do have Alanon and the Elven King Eventine Elisadil as holdovers from the previous story. Eventine Elisadil, by the way, is maybe my favorite example of the route many authors take when naming Elven characters, uh, of shoving as many E's as possible into that name. Uh, Anyway, Will is charged with the protection of Eventine's granddaughter Amberly, the last of the Chosen. Her order was charged with the protection of the Elkris, the sacred tree of the elves. The Elkris was created to hold their ancient enemy, the demons, within a dimensional purgatory. And they've waited thousands of years to escape and exact their revenge. Well, the Elkris is dying, and the wall holding back the demons is weakening. Already the strongest demons have broken through and are hunting Amberly. See, she... Well, okay, now get ready for this, guys. She is the only one who can now carry the seed of the Elkris to the Bloodfire at safe hold within the Valley of the Wilderun and carry out a rebirth of the magic tree all while being hunted by the Reaper under the direction of the Dagnamore. And that rustling wind you just heard was the sound of a million non-nerds shaking their heads in confusion and exasperation. Whatever, we all followed it. But that's fine. It's uh, As far as I'm concerned, it's a great plot. You'll notice, though, yeah. that in my quick synopsis of the Elfstones of Shinari, you heard no mention of the Elfstones of Shinara. They're there, but they don't play a huge role. Uh, they do play a role in shaping in the shaping of Will's character, but honestly, they don't figure much into the plot itself. Keep an eye on them, though, as they will, indirectly at least, be very important to the third book. So It's true. If you were to try and title this story based on what it was actually about, it would be called... Lots of running, lots of running, lots of running. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What would you guys title this book if you had your chance? The Important Tree of the Elves. (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing. Better Homes and Gardens of Life. (laughs) (laughs) You've got to come up with something of Shannara, right? To keep with with his little theme there. That's true. The Important Tree of Shannara. Yeah. I don't know. You could like you couldn't have gone with the Elkaris of Shannara right. because she's not a, a, a talisman of that house or anything. So I don't know. Uh, anyway, so I guess first things first. Uh, did you guys like the book, Andrew? What did you think? I loved it. I, I reading this, I could totally see why this was for you know for the new TV show. Why this is the one that people a lot of times will say like hold out. It's really good. I loved it. Yeah. All right. We're kind of losing you there. I don't know what's happening. Bad Apparently we're doing an imitation of uh, the grid from Tron. He's getting sucked <laughs> into it there. Uh, but your but your point was very well taken, uh, mystery man. Uh, who's Just that I, I do not recognize. Uh, what did you think, Ken? I, I loved it too. I am a little bit disappointed it took me 30 years to read it because it was one of those books that is kind of legend- in fantasy circles, Terry Brooks is a, is a master. I mean, he's he's fantasy royalty, and, and I'm a little bit disappointed that it took me so long to actually finally get into it. And it is a it's a great book. Terry Brooks he paints a really good picture. I mean, he tells a great. There's a reason it's called epic because man, it is long. It's Holy not as long. It's not as long as the sword, though. That's true. The sword had I think a good 150 200 pages on it. This, that, that is true. The, yeah, well, they're all they're all epic. They, but it is it epic. still is they long. They fall very well into I, epic fantasy. I do agree with Ken. You know, in the sense that it is long, and no, it's not as long as sword, and it's not as difficult to slog through as sword is because in this one, Terry Brooks kind of shakes off the training wheels of trying to 
fitted inside fantasy as the way he may have thought it was, the way he kind of started to do in the second half of yeah. Sword, and really gets the story to uh, you know to progress and 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 he's able to tell it in a much uh, more unique way to himself. Uh, but that being said, it's still it's uh, there's some moments where I'm sitting here going, I, I can probably go without you know three paragraphs of description on some of these things it goes back to my my same complaints with tolkien where it's just i don't need to know every ring of every tree's name you know the name of every ring and every tree <laughs> he still does that and it's it's the lord of the tree rings it's a feature of it's a feature of fantasy it, quite it's frequently. a hallmark of epic fantasy especially yeah i would specifically i would tailor it more towards high fantasy and swords and sorcery that's it's because they're well, describing a high high fantasy of a certain time right we're yeah, definitely okay, getting yeah. away from that now uh, where you read some of the, the high fantasy, we've we've read Brandon Sanderson. We all really adore him, and as long-winded as he can get, he doesn't tend to get bogged down in setting the way that you did back in the '70s and '80s, right? I will say because yeah. I, I don't want to undersell this book because it it really was fantastic. The two things I thought as I was reading were. If this would be in in modern time, modern times as opposed to 30 years ago. It would <laughs> it would be three books. It felt like three books into one, and I felt okay with that. Yeah, yeah. I would. I can see what you're getting at there. I think content-wise, it actually would probably only be two: the journey to uh, Ar- Arbo to Safehold. Oh, Arbolon, Arbolon, and then Arbolon. the journey to Safehold uh, okay. and back is how you'd break up the this current story. Yeah. But I, I kind of felt that way a little bit. Um, that was one of the things. You know, if I were to register some complaints. Uh, it did feel a little bit like reading the Fellowship of the Ring. It, uh, it took felt... a little while for the story to get going. You're like, oh my gosh, we're still in the Shire. <laughs> and then, you you know, you finally get to Arbolon and you get your quest and you're like, oh my gosh, we're halfway through the book. Yeah, the, there's two, there seems to be a recurring theme in a lot of these. And I think it's probably just an element of, of the age in which these were written is that there's a fir- there's the the prep phase of, of leaving, getting everyone together and everything that can take a little while to get your, your high adventure off on its uh, journey. And then there's always the, the like intermission where everyone comes back together and they counsel again or something. And mm-hmm. you spend another 40 pages in just boring people talking, 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 <laughs> tell that's like, well, now we have to send them out again, you know, go, you know, we take forever to get out of the Shire. And then we have the council of Elrond type thing in Lord of the Rings. It takes a little while to... So it, it sounds to me, Ryan, like you are a little bit more on the reserved side in your enjoyment of this book. Is that fair? Uh, I would say that's probably a fair assessment. I think that if I had read this book earlier in my readings of... in my fantasy readings, I probably... Like as a teenager, you mean? Yeah. I probably would have enjoyed it more. I have read enough that I feel like, there, like I've, there's been plenty of other books that have made me enjoy them more and been more fulfilling that says nothing to the quality of this book it's a fantastic book it's well written there's a lot of uh, good stuff here um it's just in comparison to a lot of the other books i've read it didn't give me the it didn't give me the happy feelies uh, that some of the other books have okay right, fair enough um let's let's do some notes then on the book and on the plot and the characters and whatnot we'll do some notes here on this story and then uh, wrap up a little bit later with our uh, anticipation of the tv series coming out uh so uh, andrew what's your first note well one of the one of the things i really liked about this was the fleshing out a little bit of the history the kind of the mythos of the the shannara world you know uh, in the in the sword of Shannara, you got 
you know, Alanon kind of hints at the fact that, well, the elves have existed for a long time. They weren't, you know, they're not one of the races like, like everybody else. They've been around, right? And, and we finally get the full exposition of that in, in Elfstones. And I loved it. I loved how he, he takes us through the history of the world and you get more of a sense of, you know, there were these magical beings before and then there was our time right now, the, the modern age, right? And then the book is set thousands of years after that. And I, I just love the breadth of kind of the breadth of that historical mythos fleshing out kind of thing, if if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. No, I, I, I totally agree. The elves' journey is really cool. And he goes uh, years and decades after he wrote this, he went and fleshed it out even more and even tied some of his other book series into the Shannara series. And the magics that he comes up with to preserve the elves throughout uh, the uh, throughout time is really cool. Mm-hmm. And if you yeah. go on past this trilogy, the next one, which Ryan has read book four of, but yes. none of the other ones, if you go on to that one, there's a really neat story in book two of the next cycle about how the elves uh, kind of stay alive. It's really awesome. I recommend it a lot. Uh, anyway, Ryan, do you want to take your ne- your first note? So my first note is a, is a realization in comparison to authors now versus the authors then, and it's specifically in dealing with villains. The Dag de Moore. Um, we start the story and we get this a few chapters. We get a little bit of dealing with the Dag de Moore at the beginning, getting his perspective and everything. Yeah. And then we don't really ever come back to him at all. Yeah, yeah. Until we get to the very end, and that's not entirely changed. Now we tend to get more into the lives of the villains and their reasoning and everything in current right. literature. In the age of wicked. Um, yes, really. Is. But that, that's, there's coined, coined, mine, all mine. <laughs> but there's the thing is, is I feel like that uh, if you go into the earlier stuff, like uh, dealing with, for example, Sauron, there's either the villain that you know very little about other than what the legends tell, right. or there's the villain that you get to follow and learn about. And I don't feel like the Dagdamore fit either. He was supposed to be this the most powerful demon in there, and we knew next to nothing next about to nothing him. Yeah. until, and the only thing we really ever get is Alanon says the Dagdamore's power probably matches my own. Right. It's like, oh, okay. So we know that he's strong. You know, I'd never thought about that before. No. I think that's a good observation because I spend so much time thinking about the Reaper. Mm-hmm. He's my right. main antagonist in this book. And so well, incredibly good. I it's love so the Reaper. Great. The yeah. Reaper is so creepy. Is it, What a great character. Always looming, always there. And when he stalks by, you know, and all of a sudden that feeling of dread and, oh, there's something in the shadows. Yeah, there's something in the shadows. It's really great. Uh, there's the scene at the uh, the castle when they're still with the last of the elven hunters. Uh, they're at this abandoned castle, and the wind is howling, and they're crossing this rickety old bridge, and the reaper mm-hmm. comes to the other end of the bridge. And even then, when they're face-to-face with it, he refuses to describe the creature. It's just wrapped in right. shadow, and you can't quite see clearly to mm-hmm. the other end of this bridge. And yeah, a masterstroke of it's, a bad guy. Anytime you personify death, which is a, that is the Reaper. He is the personification of death, which 
I wish I ever had a better memory of the talismans because I know that the four horsemen include death, and right. I think the reaper right. kind of comes back a bit. But anytime you personify death like that, it's there. You get some fantastic tools to work with, and he uses them very well. You can't escape it. The concept is you can't escape death. You can't, you know, you don't know when it's coming. You don't know what it looks like. You don't know what to expect. It's just when it gets you, it gets you, and it never fails. Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, they, he describes in the when they're talking about the Dagnamore at the beginning, he talks about his two well, yeah. henchmen. Like, he has no power over the Reaper. He just, the Reaper follows him because he gets to kill things. Yeah. Like, okay. the, the Reaper follows him because he's more powerful, and the Reaper respects that. And I get to kill things. That's okay. it. I don't. You don't scare me. Nothing scares me. I'm the Reaper. So, uh, Ken, what's your next point? Well, those, those were pretty much my points. But I, I, the the fact that the Dagnamore was not prominent was one of the things that kind of disappointed me about the book. I mean, because he, he sets up as oh, he's powerful. He used up all a lot of his power to get out of the forbidding and all we all we see of him is you know an, an end of book what video game style fight between him and Alanon where they're trying to shoot down each other's bird <laughs> basically well let's uh so my point would be about uh, the good guys uh, well, specifically Will, I thought he was a great protagonist. When I mentioned that before we started recording, I sensed a bit of an eye roll from Ryan, but I'm not sure. Did you like him as a protagonist? <laughs> <laughs> you just took a bite. <laughs> That's what I get for uh, trying to put some to eat a cookie. Um, <laughs> actually, I the eye roll wouldn't be intentional. I do think he makes a decent protagonist. Um, I, just, I just think he he breaks a few molds. Not in a not in a crazy way or or in a way that's too upsetting, but he's a healer instead of a warrior. Yeah, uh, and and yeah. he is though he is very tough, but his toughness doesn't come from being Conan the Barbarian. It comes from being clever, uh, being quick on his feet, being very knowledgeable, uh, and eventually he's he shows his emo- emotional and mental fortitude uh, to see him through. You know, and it takes him a while to get that part of himself going. Yeah, I I would say, and this speaks actually to the entirety of the book, uh, I don't think that when you're reading this book, whether you're considering Will or any of the other characters, that you're going to be surprised at any real moment. You're, I don't know there's going to be many moments where you come back and go, I did not see that coming. Right. Will's journey as the protagonist is fairly formulaic. He breaks the mold in terms of what he is. But, but not his, what he does. But not what he does. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. That is okay. Um, but my my biggest issue with Will as the protagonist, uh, I think it just took me a while to care about his journey. Mm, okay. He used the elf stones and something happened, and then we never explored that until pretty the, close to close the end, to the end again. Yeah. And I really want if 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 you use something like that and something happens to you, I really wanted to see him trying to trying to solve it more a little. Make sense of what just happened. To make sense yeah. of it a little more rather than just simply saying, oh, darn, I can't use it. And then breaking through that barrier that he created for himself at the end. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, that's, that's Andrew, really thoughts it. on the good guys? Uh, maybe Amberly or Alanon or whatever. How did you feel about the good guys? You know, I, I've had kind of an interesting, uh, I don't know, an interesting relationship with Alanon, I guess, because everybody's always so suspicious of him. And I, I just don't see why. I mean, he's obviously a good guy. 
He's never done anything wrong. But everybody's always like, oh man, Alanon, you can't trust that guy. He'll, you know, he'll make you save the world. You know what I mean? And that's that's the <laughs> yeah. biggest thing that's been weird for me about the good guys and in, in both in the sword and Elfstones is that they're like, well, the fate of the entire world depends on you. And they're like, yeah, but I just don't know if I want to. Uh, you know, is it really worth it? I mean, I might die, you know? You know what I mean? And in the back of my mind, the whole time I'm thinking, yeah, but if you don't, then everybody's going to die. So and you're going to die just then do too. what Alanon says. Yeah, do what Alanon says because you're going to die one way or another and do it, you know? So, I, and that that's one thing that I've just, I had a, I've had a hard time relating to the protagonist's distrust of Alanon. Right. Guess. You know, and and I don't know why. Maybe I'm missing out on something. No, I I, I think you're right. Uh, this reminds me of for reasons that I hope I can remember to get to. Um, it reminds me of that old PS2 video game Bounty Hunter mm-hmm. when Django Fett, in a fake deleted scene, is acting for the video game. And he's chasing a tennis ball going, what's my motivation? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the, the idea here is sometimes you just have to say, well, because the author said so. You know, mm-hmm. why is Amberly the only one? Well, because yeah. the author said so. And yeah. and yeah. I you don't want them to do it too much. A little bit is okay. Uh, but I, I think, again, you know, this is book two of this guy's career. He's still learning, and and uh, so the characters' motivations are something that are uh, that's it's not always spelled out. Whether it's Alanon's motivations, mm-hmm. which are are fairly spelled out, or the reasons that people distrust Alanon. In that case, I think it's one of yeah. those. Well, because the author said so. Well, I, I might argue that the main reason I would see for the distrust of Alanon is that people never feel like they've been given the full picture. They know that what he's doing is that there's a reason for it. Uh, but it's that there's always something being withheld, and that tends to be a, a theme that he, or a, a recurring um, eh, theme, sure. I'll run with that <laughs> word. It's not right, but uh, mm-hmm. multiple times he has only told people exactly as much as they needed to know. It's the classic uh, Obi-Wan from a certain point of view thing that happens. That was nice. Thank that was you. good. Thank you. I, I, I've been that working on my own, Guinness. Uh, and it's it really is frustrating to protagonists, to anybody who is being forced to risk their lives, risk anything, to not have the whole picture. I mean, you want me to come help you move. I want to know everything that's going to be going on, <laughs> let alone if you want me to go do something to save the world. How many pianos do you have? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Don't so, ask my mother that. <laughs> so if that's the only reason I, mm-hmm. I, I totally understand the frustration. Like, you know this man is trying to do good. He's not, he's not selfish. He's not doing anything. But I also understand on the other end, like, well, I know you want me to do this, but why haven't, why can't you tell me all of it? And then he explains at the very end, he says, well, you couldn't know then because you would not have done the same things you did. Ryan, Ryan is easily my favorite devil's advocate in the world. You're the best. I do. I do enjoy playing the devil's advocate. You yeah. an Al Pacino, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Nice. Note. Who are we on? I, oh, sorry, Ken. Go I, ahead. Well, I. it's a different point, but I mean. I want to hear it. it. I want to hear it right now. I, I found it interesting coming from the early 80s and supposedly an era where we have a bunch of fantasy authors who are men, who can't write women, who, oh, there aren't any strong female leads or any supposedly it's an era where you know 
there are no good female characters. And he writes two that are outstanding and strong and independent and contribute. And yeah. are, I thought that was that was great, and especially comparing him to Piers Anthony. Who, but a, a complaint though that I hear about Amberly. Sorry, we can go to your Piers Anthony point in a moment, but yeah. I, I I hear from people sometimes though that Amberly is just this wimpy little girl who gets carried through this quest by Will and. Uh, you know, it's yes. just kind of a, a little wuss. So I, I know that we, I always feel we enter dangerous ground when we talk about this, but it's a valuable thing to talk about. And the... I have no vagina, but I have an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that that almost got a spit wow. take out of Ken. But... Um, How much do these microphones cost? Because we got to buy a new one. The, the fact of the matter is... When I was listening, because I, I actually did the audiobook on this one because I just knew I wasn't going to have a lot of time to, to read, uh, there were times when I'd listen and there are phrases and thing that, things that happen that I can sit here and go, you know what? I can understand why someone might be frustrated with her being a, a weak character being carried through or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's also a dependency of, from Will on her that's not just romantic. Yep. He's not, he doesn't have the confidence and ability to carry himself through without her. Uh, and so she provides that. And then in the end, she makes the hardest choice out of all of them in, in becoming the Elkris, you know, spoiler alert. Sorry. What? <laughs> in saying, I'm going to give up. I, I now know what I've been prepared for. I'm going to give up everything that I, this journey has been in terms of developing a relationship with will. I'm going to give it up, and I'm going to show that I am the strongest here by doing the one thing that no one else can do. All right. I think she's a perfectly strong character. Just because she doesn't have an action sequence to showcase her skills as a fighter or anything right. doesn't make her any less of a of a valuable character. Whereas, and I know we're going to talk about the TV series in a, towards the end here, that's my biggest frustration with the little bit that I've seen there is that they have already taken these two female characters who are perfectly strong and perfectly capable as and, they're written and made them badass and made them into warrior women yeah to right. try and you know Ape- appease it, the Xena crowd it bothers me because they could be perfectly strong women characters without having to be warriors I you know I yeah. like Amberly a lot um, because of her character arc uh, and some of it you have to read between the lines to understand and and that's just fine by me. I actually really like that. But you think about what she went through when she was in The Chosen and she was getting essentially tutored every day by the Elkris and told about all these terrible things that are going to happen. Oh, she was getting um, bombarded. Huh? Exactly. Yeah, she's getting bombarded by all this Congratulations, stuff. Congratulations, you're going to become a tree. And what do you do? You run. I mean, she's a young girl. You run away. Right. And, you know, you think about the, the psychological damage that that would do to you. Um, and so, yeah, I can see a situation where, yeah, she's going to go run away and, and lead the most uneventful life that she possibly can and, uh, yeah, make make herself not into that warrior well, thing that we might want from and the if, women. If you really want to talk about the depth of her journey and how far she's come, she went from being the pinnacle of the elven society and being a chosen to an outcast. To being an outcast where even her family wouldn't even recognize her mm. as a member of the family. To then come all the way back, accept her role as, as the last of the chosen, and to become the Elkris in the end for all these people. That is a huge arc and a huge journey for her to go through. And nobody else yeah. in the story goes through anything quite like that. No, no, not even close. So, uh, Andrew, you have any other points to bring up? 
Well, with uh, with this whole Will Amberley thing, the thing that the thing that was most confusing to me is Will is the main character, right? I mean, he's he's who the book's about. But like we've we've kind of hinted at this that Amberley is really the one who matters more, I guess. You know, an example of this is they got you know through the whole book, Will's like, oh no, I lost the elf stones. The the rovers took the elf stones. Where are the elf stones? Do the elf stones work? Am I going to be able to use the elf stones? And you only hear about the seed that Amberly is carrying, like one time. She gets it from the tree, and then you hear about it one more time when they're actually in the cave. You know. Right. And I was thinking it's 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 interesting that like the reap uh, the reaper is is tracking them, and. And because Will's kind of the main character, I I was thinking through the whole book, well, the Reaper is tracking is tracking Will, right? But then when it came to it, the one he actually went after was Amberly, right? Right. Uh, when they were in the, I'm blanking on what it's called the safe hold, the scary place, the safe place with a W, <laughs> the you know, Wilderun, the, the, the Wilderun, that's it, yeah, yeah. So she's there alone, and Will's off running around, and who does the Reaper go after? He goes after Amberly. Why? Because really, it doesn't matter if this guy has these elf stones. What matters is that she has this seed that's going to let the the Elkris be reborn and save the world and you know put the demons back in the forbidding. And it, it just kind of struck me as surprising that it's just an interesting dynamic that Will's the main character, but in, in some ways, Amberly really is more important. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, it would be and, like uh, if uh, if the story was told from Han's perspective or from uh, from mm-hmm. Sam's perspective. I'm actually curious as to how yeah. this would compare, and the only person I there's no person I would know who could compare this better than you would be how this compares to the Zelda series. Okay. Oh, because yeah. Because Link is who you're following, but Zelda seems to be kind of the main. She yeah, she's the focal point of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair comparison, I'd say. It ain't the legend of Link, <laughs> except for that second game. Yeah. We, we won't talk Link about to that. the past. Yeah. No, not that one. Um, uh, where were we? Uh, anybody else? Ryan, what's your next point? So, can we talk just briefly? Yeah, just, we don't do that here. Just briefly. Um, some of the, I'll call them tertiary characters. Be I don't even know if they're secondary. The, the Steejanses. The Steejans, the Cephalos, the... I loved them all, almost more than I loved my main characters. Yeah. Because yeah. they were mm-hmm. all so interestingly individual. I mean... And really well-drawn, yeah. all of them. Yes. I mean, and maybe it's just the fact that they were, were all of... Or all of our main characters were mostly elven, kind of, you know, mm-hmm. of the same moldish. Well, we, we, we get this kind of gypsy rover, Cephalo, and, and the workings that he goes through. Um, what's the name of the woodsman in the Wilderun? Oh, he... Hippa or... Hebel. Yes, yes. I go with Hebel. One of those. You know, and... I Every time they came across someone new in the story... I became very much intrigued with the side story of how of what's going on with that person. Yeah, okay. Uh, because they were, like you said, they were well written, they're well drawn, and uh, they they added a spice to the adventure that I don't think that the characters naturally were written to bring to the story mm-hmm. themselves. Um, 
and that's fairly I mean, that's fairly common and this is not new ground I'm breaking uh, but I just I really appreciated those characters uh, for the change that they brought to the story and it made for a really nice uh, confrontation sequence in the end uh, when they're dealing with the two sisters oh two yeah which sisters uh, without Hebel 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 Hubble I don't know Hebel Hebel Hama Hama uh, you know, without we're, we're really good at podcasting, <laughs> you guys. I don't know yeah, without him, yeah. uh, without his story and bringing everything to to build up their legend. That could have been a real throwaway moment, right? But it wasn't. It was really nice. Um, all right, so I'll, I'll bring up one more thing. Uh, well, maybe two more things. The time issue in this book is so much better than it was in book one. Um, it, everything is more pressing, more urgent. Uh, Ryan is yeah. about to die. Sorry. From chewing. I don't know. Uh, but Will and Amberly, they're racing the invasion of the demons uh, and, and trying to accomplish this. And it all makes for a much more taut storyline than than we got with Sword. Am I right? Yeah, you have a deadline. Yeah, you exactly. have a five-day, essentially a five-day deadline. Before, it's a little the, bit more the than will, before the elves are all totally destroyed. Yeah. it's. But at the same time, it's kind of like... Uh, there's a joke in academia about academic deadlines being like, oh, well, if the deadline's the 15th, you can still turn it in on the 20th and it'll be okay. Well, I wish my that, professors you know, had had that rule. <laughs> right. Well, it depends on where you are. But, uh, <laughs> but like, you know, like, well, we have to get the seed back before the demons come out or it's going to be the end of the world. And they're like, well, the demons came out, but let's still try. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but actually, that's that's one of the things that I loved is that, and I, we kind of hinted at this a little bit earlier. Instead of being a one-way quest, this was a round-trip quest, right? There Where and back again. It's not just, yeah, it's, and it, it's much more there and back again than The Hobbit was, I think, because you're fighting all the way there, and then instead of just the journey back being load up your donkey with gold and go home, it's you're fighting all the way back as well. Um, oh, you I had know, a totally I, different phrase for that, but that's fantastic. <laughs> well, you know, you know, <laughs> yes, yes. But, um, An ass load of gold, like, is that what we're going <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> something like that, yeah. So it's like a double quest. And that's part of why the timing had to be a lot tighter because they have to get all the way there and then get all the way back. Now, granted, they did fly with a giant bird to get back. So The which, eagles are coming. Know, maybe that's the same. You know, God bless the, the author for doing that. Donkey, but, yeah. Yeah. You know. I love that. So. I, I loved it too. And, I, and uh, I wasn't planning to bring this up, but I'll do this quick. I loved that that plot device partly because, yeah, like Ryan's saying, thank goodness we didn't have to journey all the way back. That would have made for another 200 pages. Uh, but also because there's a reason that the bird is there, mm-hmm. you know, versus yeah. Tolkien. And, okay, yeah. l- let me back up. As a Tolkien guy, I know all the reasons. I can explain them all, and it makes total sense to me, and it doesn't feel like a cop-out. However, to your average reader, uh, you know, in The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings, yeah, it totally feels like a cop-out. I get that. But here we have a real character, a real plot device where it's not uh, deus ex machina, the, you know, where the bird just swoops in out of nowhere and, oh, good, we're saved. And there's mm-hmm. a reason it's there. So I, I like that sequence mm-hmm. a lot. That's That's exactly what I appreciated most about that is the fact that it was introduced early enough. And it was a new thing to them, like, oh, there are elves that fly on these rocks? Fantastic. Which, come on. First of all, Terry Brooks. Uh, no, R-O-C. That is, that's a, a 
fantasy creature from like our real legends right yeah. you know that right no yeah. no i don't okay. oh well now now you know now uh, now apparently i know because <laughs> I, I just sat there and i was like flying on a that's, rock that's that's yeah that's you couldn't go with i Griffin love, I or, love no. audiobooks i love audiobooks but at a certain point you gotta if you're not reading it you're gonna miss a few little things in fact there were several times i had to i've listened to the audiobook too and i had to go back and reference the actual spelling <laughs> to go with pronunciation like how how was this but i i did know what rocks were because i follow fantasy better than you apparently apparently well, i was not familiar with rocks <laughs> But no, I, I Ken, appreciated. Ken was around when they were still on the earth. <laughs> when there were rocks, yeah. <laughs> no, I just appreciated that as soon as the discovery of a better mode of transportation was found, they took it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. like, like, all right, sweet. Hey, look, we hey. can fly now. Let's do that. But we're not going to break the rules. Like, we're not going to fly all the way in and have him do it because that's already been established that he's not supposed to do that. And it's a kid. So they yeah. followed mm-hmm. the rules that they created. They lived inside the the borders of man i'm really doing good today yeah andrew i can hear you chomping at the bit were you gonna well, say I, something yeah i just uh just gonna say that so perk and the whole like sky elves thing is another one of these like minor tertiary characters that could have a whole story behind it you know yeah. you've got you got hable you've got uh steve jans and all those guys that you could easily have a book about each of them and this is this is another one of those things that it's it's part of this world building that you're like oh there's sky elves, that's cool you know and yeah. anyway that's that's all just that it, it's another one of those kind of borderline edge of the story kind of things that is still really interesting stuff and I, I love that about it so yeah and it and it does make for some really cool stuff later on he Terry Brooks is going to go on and he's going to uh he's going to use the rovers and the sky elves and all sorts of stuff to tell future stories so you guys are on the right track you're like oh there's a whole story there that you could tell well he will not necessarily about that character but about that group I, so i want a whole cool. small yeah. book about steve jans <laughs> what a cool character that guy is uh how so because <laughs> you want to be him or because i want to be him i, I just the way he is presented throughout the entire book, I mean, as being smart and being, this is what I am here for. He basically is the anti-reaper. If you think about it, he's like, I'm here to fight. Except for I'm they're both here for conti- death. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm here to continue to fight and I will fight and I know how to fight and I'm good at fighting and I will continue to fight. And every time you think I'm going to die. Well, that brings up an interesting question. At least I think it's interesting uh, because we often get into the philosophical. Todd's not here, so it's taken us a little while to get there. But um, let's take Steve Jans versus the Reaper. Both of them are kind of agents of death. That's what they do. It's who they are. Uh, but do motivations matter? I think absolutely they do. I mean, the Reaper is... I mean, in the book, obviously, it's presented as, yeah, Steve Jans is a good yeah. guy, and we like him, but is this a case of the author said so, so we must believe it? No, not necessarily. I mean, the Reaper is there for one purpose. He's there to kill, because he wants to kill. He just, he's going to kill. Steve Jans is there to fight, and he's there to fight for a purpose, and he's there to fight for a cause, and when the cause is won or lost, I mean, then he's done, he's not going to just go kill indiscriminately, and he's not going to... Even when he's in a fight, he's not going to kill because he didn't have to kill. I mean, that these are the things I kind of took. Part from of the thing. reason that I think Steve Jans and his um, his whole group, his free riders, um, the what are they called? The Free Corps. The Free Corps. They one of the reasons that they are so endearing to us as a reader is that they are the lost souls of the forgotten, the ones that are sent to die. Um, yeah. 
Merry Christmas. I gave you guys a, a, a book to read. Um, and in that, there's a... Oh, you're those, talking to us? Yes, you guys. Oh, okay. Um, I gave them The Way of Kings. So for those of you out there who have already read The Way of Kings and, and know what's going on um, in regarding to the uh, the Bridgemen, there's a there's a group of people in in a lot of literature that are the forgotten or they are the the least worthwhile. And when those people band together and showcase extraordinary ability, uh, you get to really care from the underdog. It's the underdog principle is essentially sure. what we're getting at. And Steve Jans and his people are the underdogs. They're just really, really good at being the underdogs. <laughs> and uh, the fact is you have this kind of heroic bear character. I think of uh, back in the Bulgariad, he's kind of the... Uh, Barrack. Kind of the Barrack. Barrack, yeah. The Barrack character. He, actually, he would be the child of Barrack and the bastard son of Omimbre, <laughs> Mander <Nice>. Allen. <laughs> Todd, that was for you. <laughs> Todd, that was for you. He would be, the, he would be uh, their child. That is, uh, wow. Wow, somebody write a book about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, Steve Jans was one of my favorite characters because you're right. He was intelligent. He knew his, uh, he had a purpose. He had a role. And he was an underdog, and the fact is, is he was a successful underdog. And the fact is, at the end, when the king offered, when uh, uh, Ander, 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 mm-hmm. yeah, when Ander is saying, "I'm offering you a command," and he says, "I'll think about it," I'm like, "That's awesome, yeah. because you've earned it, you've deserved it, you you could do this." But he's also true to his men, the like three that are still alive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so let me ask you guys a question. I'm sure they would have been more than welcome too. Yeah. yeah. I, I, again, with uh, kind of going down a philosophical road here, but this one's more on a, of a personal nature. Um, crisis of confidence. That's what I would call Will's uh, problem. Me with every the day at three o'clock. What's that? Me every day at three o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> so he... he uses the elf stones early in the book and then midway through the book he tries again and they don't work for him and we learn toward the end when he tries again we learn that essentially it wasn't as much his human blood that was blocking him from using the elf stones yes that played a factor but really it was his mental block and he didn't have confidence in himself and his abilities to use the stones um First of all, do you guys, I think somebody mentioned earlier, it was Amberly who kind of had to bring him out of that. She was right. his strength through this story, right? Do you guys feel like when you've had a crisis of confidence, have you been able to bring yourself out of it? And is there a trick for that? Or do you need the help of somebody else to to kind of, you know, to pull you out and to get you on your path? What do you think, Andrew? Any thoughts? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. The The thing I was thinking with, with Will specifically with this is in some way, it seemed like as much as, you know, he didn't think he could do it to some extent. I think it was also that he didn't want, like he didn't want it to be true that he had to do this. Uh, and, and maybe this is me like projecting onto him, you know, but, but I think that's luckily we never do that is, with literature, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely not. But with a lot of confidence, uh, you know, it's, it's questioning whether you even want to, you know, and, um, and that's where somebody else can be helpful is to help you decide like, well, is it something you really want to do? Like, well, do you really want to save the world or do you want to get eaten by demons? Right. <laughs> um, you know, and, and with us, it's not usually that, big of a deal but 
but yeah, I think another person can be helpful. I don't know if it's necessary, but uh, in, in many ways, I think it's certainly easier when you've got a crisis of confidence to have somebody else there saying, no, no, you can do it and you have to, or you need to, or you don't have to, but you should anyway, or whatever, you know? Right. I think you'll find it. A couple of the problems with the crisis of confidence for us is a it's not on the scale of like of will here. Right. We're not saving the world. Our crisis of confidence is whether or not we go for that promotion, whether or not, you know, we're good enough to try for this. And can I eat that third burrito? Yeah, you absolutely mm. can. Oh, and I do. <laughs> but um ha- half of our problem is identifying that, that that that's what we're having as a is a crisis of confidence, you know, mm-hmm. is identifying that and having another person around to help you spot that. And to then showcase, like, to be able to talk to you and help you through a little bit, or at least realize that there's another, that there's more to you than you realize. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest problem with that is that most of the time we just do, we play the you don't understand game. You don't, uh, you're not in my head. You can't you feel the way I feel. Me. You don't know. Um, so it gets, it gets difficult. Now, what I really like about Will and Amberly's uh, setup with this is that they, and Will comments on this, they have similar opposing viewpoints of the same point. Uh, when they're talking about the Elfstone specifically, oh, he right. says, when I should use them, I'm afraid that I can't or that I won't be able to. I, I think that I should, but I can't. You think that I shouldn't, but I can't. Can. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And sometimes yeah. that that other opinion, that second person there is what will, you know, it'll give you enough to think about and chew on to get you moving forward. Um, is it necessary? Probably not, but it will probably expedite the process. Yeah. Okay. I think Fair it enough. also it also comes down to what I, I'm going to coin the term crisis of acceptance, meaning that when you're when you don't want to do something, when you you have a task, doesn't matter how important it is, how you know earth saving it is, if you don't want to do it, you get in your own way until you finally decide, okay, I got to get it done. Let's get it done. I, When I was in college, I had a paper that I knew I had to write, had to write it for two weeks, didn't do it, didn't do it, just kind of blew it off, thought, oh, what kind of grade can I get if I just don't do this paper and whatever. Finally decided to do it two hours before the class, wrote the paper, got a B plus on it. You've been holding that story for 48 years? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, so... If it but, was different than kids, they had to chisel it into tablets. That's right. I Todd's had, not here for us to do the old joke, so you're taking the brunt so of tonight. I gotta take it. Thanks a lot, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> but but the the point the point being that once you decide, okay, it's got to be done. I've got to do it. I don't have a choice. Or you just accept that it's your responsibility. It becomes easier to just do it. Uh, I'd agree with that. And you can even take Will's story and kind of support it, but also a little bit of refutation in that. Will, when he needed to do it the second time, especially when he's fighting the Reaper, um, he can't. Uh, he can't do it. He's decided he needs to do it, but he he can't. And it's he's got the block that he's built in there. Right. It wasn't until he figured out that he has to balance and establish a harmony between himself, his mind, his body, and his heart. If I remember right, those yep. are the three. Right. Once he got those three, it's dangerous to go alone. <laughs> once he got those three in balance, he was able to to do to remove the block and move on so as much as it's true that you know we say once we decide to act that we are you know we can be quite a powerful force to to do what we want to do uh, we also have to get our affairs in order and get things in harmony before we can do them effectively and well right um 
Because the first time he did it, he didn't do it well, and it affected his body. He just broke the barrier, said, I'm going to do it, and it caused some effects that we'll read about in the Wish song. Right, right. Um, let's abandon the book. Because uh, okay. we're, we're wrapping up here, so change your mindset a little bit. Let's talk about the TV show. It's coming up, I think, January 5th, I want to say. Uh, I'd have to look it up. Uh, but anyway, sometime in January 2016, we are being treated by MTV and executive producer John Favreau to uh, the Chronicles of Shannara, based on, at least the first season will be based on the Elfstones. Are you guys looking forward to it? Um, and has that changed since you've read this book? Looking forward to it, yes. And I'm looking forward to it even more because I've read the book. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm still guardedly optimistic because MTV's attached to it. However, we'll let that slide for now because Terry Brooks' fingerprints are all over the, the TV show. So, Okay, Ryan, what do you so say? That's good. I have, as I tend to have, mixed emotions um, about it. I am not as excited as I was before. Oh, really? So you got less excited after reading the book? There are some things I am more excited about. There are some visual aspects of this series that you can get from the trailer that I am just amazed with. I love the Elkris imagery. Hmm. I love what they've got there. I'm not in love with the cast. I don't much care for who they've cast in these roles because almost none of them match the way I I visualize these characters. Yeah, I I can buy that too. How much do I love Manu Bennett? Plenty. Lots. Maybe not your best Alan on. I don't know. I, I, I think I'll, I'll will, give him his chance. I I'm, think he will do everything in his power to do well as Alan on, and yeah. he will be good in what he is given. The fact is, though, is Alan on is, for as being as a formidable character as he is, he still has an age, an age, not agelessness, but. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, you know what I'm getting at there. He's this seven foot tall dark shadow powerful man so i get why you cast manu bennett but he's got age and wisdom in there that i don't see in manu bennett right. as alanon and as much as i love john reese davies i don't see an even time an even time elisadel there right and i already told you about my complaints about the two girl characters being turned into warriors and will's a surfer that's what he, he's a surfer I am yeah, I don't like that cast yeah, for will at all <laughs> i am excited uh to see the girl that plays eritrea was mm-hmm. the little girl in uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Okay. Uh, and so I'm excited to see what she's grown up into as far as an actress. I mean, uh, Andrew, are you a TV guy? Are you excited for this? I think it'll be interesting to see. I don't uh, I don't have tons of time for TV, but I do have Liar. a couple series Liar. that I'll, you're that I'll a, keep up on. You you're know? an American. Well, that's true. But I do have a couple series that I keep up on when I'm a- excited if this will be one of them uh told you so little house on the I'm prairie ended years ago i guess <laughs> 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 your little house on the prairie ended years ago just let it go man yeah i know i'm still crying about that but <laughs> <laughs> yeah i uh i i am looking forward to it i am i i am nervous about some of the licenses that they've taken with the yeah. story and the characters and the visuals and whatnot and however However, this the book if if it's changed enough 
it's actually kind of good that the book will exist totally separately in my mind. If there were just mm-hmm. a few little tweaks here and there, then sometimes it can be hard to separate the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I, I hold this book very near and dear to my heart. It was one of the first fantasy books that I read when I was a kid. Uh, and, and so if they do change it a bunch and it's not at all what I envisioned in the book, I'm actually more excited for that uh, possibility. I think probably the biggest benefit in my mind of them running this book, the way they're doing it with this series, is we have it'll open up the pathway and pave the way a little bit for more book stories like this to be done as a miniseries style. Yeah. Versus doing mm-hmm. just two-hour movies of everything. Okay, yeah. You know, because we've got a lot of two-hour movie books, uh, you know, two-and-a-half, two-hour movies, you know, with all of the Hunger Games and everything else. And, and mostly they turn out awful. They're, I mean, they're they're not okay. Aw- not awful, but just not good. They're Not great, I should say. They're not, uh, they don't do as much justice to the story as could be. I mean, if any of those single stories, uh, the Hunger Games, all the, I'm using the Hunger Games because it's the most prevalent right now. Um if those stories were created as movies, as original things before a book came out type thing, we'd love them. We'd think they were amazing. Like, they're great. But because there's a higher quality book attached piece yeah. to it, we're, we see that there's that it could have been better. And yeah. I think that mm-hmm. the miniseries style has potential to be a better place for a lot of fantasy stories to mm-hmm. exist in. You don't need a full-on 26-episode arc to tell these things. But you need more than two hours. Right. That's why, you know, like yeah. what Netflix is doing with their original programming. Is amazing. It's tell tell a story in a shortened arc and let it be. And I, Yeah, I love that uh, you don't have to have an open-ended uh, story where you're not sure if you're going to get a season three. Oh, no, how do, we, how do we wrap this up but leave room for a season four? You don't yeah. have to worry about that with the way that they seem to be telling this story. They will finish it at the end of season one and if it's successful i've heard some rumblings about what they plan to do with future seasons and it's uh it's interesting to say the least well there's what 12 books in the shannara series total uh try it's like 26 or something like that no well yeah crazy he's written a ton inside there so they have plenty of material to work with no all what i'm saying is the characters will be will carry through to all these other stories so will will then go on the sort of Shannara quest. Ugh. So it could, you know, it could be interesting. I, I don't know that that's what they're going to do. That's the rumblings I've heard, though. I'm anyway. fine with the sort of Shannara quest. Not okay with them using the same. The surfer. <laughs> if you want to use the same actors, you know, to show heritage or whatever, fine. But don't make, don't be Will Olmsford going on the quest of his grandfather, because at some point, hopefully they will have taught about the Elfstones being his grandfather's. Right. And that he went through that journey. Right. Well, anyway, all right, guys, we better wrap it up. We're we're coming up on our hour here. So uh, thanks, everybody, for uh, reading the book and having things to say uh, because that's what we do here. We have things to say. Uh, anyway, Andrew, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Despite tech issues, uh, it was fun to be on. Oh, no, it's all good. It's uh, for those who are listening, we're, we record in Salt Lake City and we are in the midst of a gigantic blizzardy storm. And so Ryan and Ken risked their lives to bring you this podcast. <laughs> I sat warm and safe in my home and, uh, and hoped that they crashed on the way here. Almost. 
Anyway, um, thank you everybody for listening in. Uh, we are looking forward to doing book three, The Wish Song of Shannara. So uh, keep your your ears peeled for that one in January, I would yeah, assume they're sometime. Elves. They're elves. Uh, okay. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, of course, be sure to tune into the TV show, and, and we will obviously be talking about that here on the podcast. Uh, so once we're maybe a few episodes in, we'll chat about where that series is going and how we like it. Uh, be sure you check out our website, the legendary the legendariumpodcast.com, because I can say my words. Uh, we've got a ton of old episodes uh, and content there, so check that out. Be vintage. sure to subscribe They're on iTunes. Uh, our most popular series is our Mistborn series by Brandon Sanderson, uh, and with good reason. It's a ton of fun, and I would encourage everybody to go listen to that. Uh, our first series was The Lord of the Rings, and I don't know if I encourage people to listen to that anymore. I, I tried starting again from the beginning. Kind of painful. Yeah. We were not so good. <laughs> yeah, unless you're feeling a little uh, masochistic or sadistic. <laughs> anyway, point being, thanks everybody for listening in. Uh, we will talk to you all uh, probably after Christmas. Have a good one, everybody. Ready to go see Star Wars. The Legendarium Podcast is sponsored by Audible, the world's leading source of audiobooks. Follow along with our current series or enjoy some of the classics by visiting thelegendariumpodcast.com where you can sign up for your free trial membership. Click the sponsor link on our website for a free audiobook. Hi, this is Terry Brooks. You're listening to the Legendary... Legendarium... <laughs> See, I can't do it. It's been a long <laughs> damn day, let me tell you. I'm sure it is. And I'm burned out. <laughs>